Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up on this edition of TV Black Box, Nine brings back the Biff, Seven goes to war with Cricket Australia, plus the verdict is in as Plate of Origin takes on the block. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. This is TV Black Box. Bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello and welcome to another big week of TV Black Box. OMG, there is so much to discuss. I'm Rob McKnight. You can find me at Rob underscore McKnight on the socials. Sarah Monaghan is known as Shrimp Tank on Twitter. Hello, Sarah. Good morning. Good evening, good afternoon, good night. Yes, Yes, indeed. Thank you. Uh, The viewer's advocate is here. Steve Mark. Hello, matey. Ahoy. (laughs) <laughs> Benjamin Norris, here you can find him on the Ben Robin Robbo show. And when he's not prancing about there, he's here. Hello, Ben. Hi. I'll prance away. This is exciting. <laughs> and uh, he's back after a one week sojourn. Brookie, Stephen Brook is back. Hello, Brookie. Hey, Rob, what a week of news. I can't get wait to stuck in. Oh, there was no way you could miss this one. There is way too much to talk about, so let's get into it. And Channel 9 has taken a shot at Rival 7 after the network secured the rise to reality TV favourite The Voice for 2021. In a statement issued to TV Black Box, the network points out Seven is building success from its old shows, but says it is not sad to see The Voice out of its slate. And I quote... Unfortunately, due to the age of the show and declining demographic profile, The Voice has become by far the poorest financial performer on our slate. We wish Seven well in their quest to revive yet another Nine show. Ben, isn't it good to see the Biff back? You know, these PR types, they've been playing it too nice for too long. I love seeing a bit of the Biff. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's good to be able to see a bit of friendly competition. Uh, I thought it was a bit of an unusual statement for Channel 9. And I just was going to say things change, obviously, but when I was on a Channel 9 show, I felt like I was on the reject, like the reject sibling show and Channel 9 loved the voice. And so they just, they just could not stop talking about the voice the whole time. They were like, yeah, I know. They're like, we don't care. Ricky Martin's going to be on the next series. Isn't that exciting? And I'll be like, but I'll be irrelevant next year, so who cares <laughs> as to who you'll have on the show of The Voice next year? But, look, I did know that Channel 9 at a stage really loved this show and I would say from what I would think, well, I would say that I think that uh, somebody's going to get into a lot of trouble at Channel 9 because I think that uh, this is a fairly sneaky move. 
Um, uh, no, but Hugh Marks indicated this, uh, Brookie, at the financial results, which we will talk about a little bit later, but he said The Voice is a $40 million proposition and maybe we won't continue with it. Now, well, whose the, fault is that? Well, that's the thing. When it, when they first bought it, it was $20 Great million. Point. Um, and I think there was one figure quoted, I don't know how accurate it was, that $11 million, $11 million was spent on the judges, mm, which to me sounds exorbitant. I thought that this was a little... We can argue about whether Nine should keep the voice or not, but it did seem to touch a little raw nerve, this statement from yeah. its comms team. That's the tone of that, I thought, mm-hmm. was interesting. Warburton was all... Channel 7 boss James Warburton was all over the Sunday papers uh, in his usual direct way, saying that this was a great coup for the network. Bet your bottom dollar that he does a version that is going to be a lot cheaper. Well, it's going to come in under $20 million. Uh, Can you make that work financially? You possibly can. He's talking about cutting out the middle section of the voice, which he says is boring and uh, no one is attracted to that because everybody is transfixed he is by correct. blind auditions. That is correct, isn't it, Mole? Yeah, yeah. And then you have the excitement of the final. So from memory serves me, the voice used to be a lot shorter. It sounds like he's going back to the beginnings about what made the show a success. Last point, Sonia Kruger, a much more attractive presenter than the pairing that Nine had in its most recent episodes. Absolutely. But, Brookie, you've been on the receiving end of a lot of PR releases. Now, you go back 10 years and they used to really swing at each other. You know, like they all used to say, uh, you know, if it came from nine, they'd say sevens, you know, what can I say here? Uh, I think I got, I think I did a little thing once where I... uh, I, I can't even remember who it was. It was either seven or nine and I bagged out the network for the number of programming changes that had occurred, say, in like a four-month period, mm. what they had announced and what was actually happening. And then I got an itemised list from that network <laughs> about wow. the rival network detailing all the mistakes and programming changes that they had made. So you are right. That used to be a much but it, angrier, more But it wasn't even just direct... behind the scenes, Brookie. It was... Like oh, no, 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 no. press releases, they would take swipes. Yes, I know, but, the, you know, TV has changed, the world has changed, and the networks are much resu- reduced, aren't they? They're not as big as they used to be. They don't have as big ratings or as big stars or as big salaries, and they probably don't have as bombastic a PR team as well because, as we all know, all the real coin in media is hoovered up by Google and Facebook. Well, one one thing on that, though, Brookie, is that they've been of recent looking as though um, we're all one big kumbaya family because we're all in the greater good for TV. But this is the biff back, baby. Nine are gone. Screw you, Seven. And they're punching back. I like it. I like it a lot. I think if they really want to bring the biff back, they should get Guy Sebastian's little brother to come and host this one. Oh, Jesus. Well, the, the, Jesus. the uh, celebrity judges aren't contracted to nine, so I think that there's a good chance that they will take some of the judges across from what I've heard. But I just, what I was going to say earlier, I, I know that people love to think that I've only been around since 2012 uh, and then I've been pushing my 15 minutes since then. But I will say that I've been to quite a few Logies uh, prior to being on Big Brother and I remember one of my favourite things about the Logies after parties 
was that the network's executives would always be paying out the other people, like the other networks. Like it was just, it seemed to be the night to do it, you know, and I think that that kind of rivalry is kind of healthy in an industry like TV. You know, it gives a competitive spirit and makes people want to try a little harder. I mean... There is trash talking on one level between PR people and comms people, but the real rivalry is in stealing programs and formats, of which there seems to be a heightened bit of activity at the moment, and stealing talent. So I don't think that the, you know angry press releases and statements is a substitute from the real competitiveness, which is poaching talent and formats. Well, a friend of mine who is an insider and is friends with James Warburton told me that about six months ago, the tactic of Channel 7 was familiarity and revamping. And that's basically what they'll be focusing on as they roll out their... uh, you know, what's they're rolling out their content for to that 2021. I think Big Brother was just a taste of that. Well, it's interesting you say that, Ben, because it seems Channel 7 isn't content with getting its hands on just The Voice, but is coming after other nine properties. There are various reports the network is interested in obtaining Ninja Warrior Australia and the NRL. Sarah, does the audience care about originality or is Seven doing what it needs to do in order to guarantee success? I think there's a balance. Um, I think there's some things that you can steal, and but I think at some point people also... There's the nostalgia point, like people are like, oh, it's something from my childhood I can watch again. But sometimes also it's like I really would like something new because I'm just bored of this shit because you've had it on for 20 years and, like, <laughs> let's let's have something new. What we have seen has been huge rating properties over recent years have been new programs. It's been The Masked Singer, it's been Ninja Warriors, it's been Lego Masters. Mm. It's people crying out for new formats. Even with old, long-standing formats that seem to have been around for a million years, what was the biggest TV story this year? MasterChef's revamp, which was a triumph. So clearly people were tired of those hosts. But you're right, there are still properties, and particularly we've seen in TV drama, if you try and launch a new drama that doesn't have some kind of echo of the past or a revamp of a much-loved previous drama show, you do that at your peril. But you can't make it a straight rip-off because then if it's not perfectly exactly the same, people get upset that it's not the same enough, but you have to make it different enough that people are like, well, there's a little piece in there and I can see where it came from and now this is the new one. It's very – you have to balance it. But, Mark, you've got to say if Seven Strategy, as Ben says, is to use known brands to build up its base, this is a this is a good strategy, isn't it? Seven's in a better position than they were a year ago. Since they were at the beginning of the year, they used two of their own brands, My Kitchen Rules and House Rules, which didn't fire. They brought in Big Brother. They brought in Farmer Wants a Wife. They've both done r- relatively well. So if James Warburton is after short-term gain, this does seem a smart way to do it, doesn't it? Yeah, they also brought in, and thanks for bringing me into the podcast, Rob. I appreciate it. Um, they also <laughs> they also brought in Pooch Perfect, which shat the bed. Like yeah, it's the lowest rating um, TV program and it, uh, entertainment primetime. Wasn't program James Warburton's? It wasn't um, his. And it was a brand new one. No, I appreciate that James inherited that one, hmm. um, but that's where it lands. Look, the, the real catch for seven is going to be the almighty dollar. How much is it going to cost? I cannot see them trying to get all four judges no. over to The Voice, particularly if, and sure, rumours and the rest of it, 
if at one point they were paid 11 million bucks, there is no way they're coming for less than that. And if you've got $20 million or less as your budget for a big, shiny, singing floor show, you cannot spend more than half of it on the judges. You just will not have success. The opportunity... Of course, Malt, you want to change the judges. Because sure, the complaint about the voice is that it skews old and the demographics are too old. Yep. So get some new talent in there. Get Preuss Van in there or get Tones and I in there. Heck, I'd watch that. Mm. Well, you know, yeah, Kelly absolutely. Kelly Rowland was never going to come back for this next series, so she's out. I think Guy Sebastian's fantastic on that show, so he should stay. Uh, I think Boy George is, is like I, I like Boy George. I'm fr- I'm friends with him on social media. Like we follow each other, and I quite often chat to him on there. But I don't necessarily know if he's that busy. So I think you know he could easily be told COVID nineteen. It's tough times. We're going to have to cut your salary in half, and he will probably still come back to Australia. Honestly, it doesn't really matter where they land on the judges. The broad approach by Seven, if they're thinking that that nabbing, you know, former stars and former shows from other networks and bringing them across will give them the edge, there's no question that Farmer did good business, uh, better than their earlier stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, will will they get Ninja? Pretty unlikely. I think Seven Nine will want to hang on to that one. Will they? But w- that's fine. You've just bumped the price up. Sure. Will they get the NRL State of Origin? Not in your life. Um, mm-hmm. th- you know that that as three big hits to Nine's rating schedule, bring them into the top four or five or six shows every year. It is nothing they will let go of. And the other thing, Malk, is that it's a free market, so Seven are quite within their rights to try and bid. It comes oh, down 100%. to whether Nine's got a last right to bid option. Yep. Um, it comes down to how much Humarks is willing to pay because we are at a time where they are definitely assessing costs versus the revenue each show generates. So- and Nine walked away from cricket, which nobody thought they'd mm. ever do yep. and that was over a cost issue but also over a ratings and a performance issue. And and look, they really saw the writing on the wall in that regard. Well, Brookie, it's funny you mentioned cricket because still on seven, the network <laughs> seems desperate to wow. get out of its contract with Cricket Australia. Seven West Media CEO James Warburton has labelled Cricket Australia's current management and I quote, the most incompetent administration I've ever worked with. The Seven boss says he is shocked by the sacking of CEO Kevin Roberts and does not agree with the decisions being made, going on to say, quote, we are forced to consider all our options, including terminating the contract, and we have put them on notice. Malk, I might be a sceptical man. Not you, But this sounds like a company that wants to get out of a contract that isn't paying off for them. Nine gave up the cricket. It hasn't gone well for Seven. Am I in the right ballpark here? Can, well, I think you're pretty close. Can you just read what was that quote from Warburton about Cricket Australia's management again? What was that? Yeah, okay. I, <laughs> he said, the most incompetent administration I've ever worked with. Geez, this is from the man who tried to run seven and is now running seven and it's not doing well. Um, it, it, it's a difficult... Well, hold on. It's doing better than when he started, isn't it? Yeah, but coming off a low base is not a hard thing to improve, Brookie. Oh, I would argue. You're a harsh man. I would argue in the Australian TV industry at this particular point in time, it's a bloody hard thing to uh, do. And look, Cricket Australia has got form. Remember that massive squabble they had with Channel 10 a couple Mm -hmm. of years ago, where David Peaver, the chair, who has had to go, mind you, I think called them bottom feeders. Yes, Mm. outrageously so. Yeah, and the fact is, is that. Cricket Australia is not going to deliver on what was promised, is it? They're and half the stars won't in big allow bash. To. And that's the real yeah, problem. And the, 
the big bash league is not going to be what was promised. They're not going to be able to get all the stars yep. in from overseas. So the whole thing is a dog's breakfast. Uh, it gets back to your point right from the start, Rob, about uh, you know trash talking, plain speaking. It's not the PR department here doing it; it's the CEO. Yeah, um, it's reminiscent of Leckie. It's straight shooting. He tells you what he thinks. He's going. He's saying, "I'm going after this, this, and this. Watch out, boys! Here I come." It has Love been. It. It has been some time since we've seen uh, a Leckie-esque approach to dealing with the media and how a, you know, a TV executive works in that regard. And look, full credit to James Warburton for absolutely firing a shot across Cricket Australia's bow. Um, to be fair, I think that Cricket Australia have, prior to the whole debacle with 7 and 10, had it pretty darn good with 9 because they knew they were in a really protected position. Now, in cricket and our audiences changing in the way that we want to consume cricket, the Big Bash League became the hottest property on TV, um, thanks in no small part to the effort of Foxtel and 10 to turn it yep. into that. Um, the the comment, as you made, Rob, by the then uh, chairman, was outrageous that they wouldn't deal with 10. Uh, you know, anyone but 10, I think, was the comment that came out of the boardroom mm. uh, around the negotiations, and that's insane to their, you know, great discredit in that regard, that seven now have the cricket and nine don't and seven are struggling with it. Look, it was just that's timing as much as anything else and the coronavirus playing heavily into that whole mess as to why they're in the position they are. For Warburton to be saying what he's saying, uh, I, I look, I think it, we could... We could read it as he's trying to get out of a contract. It's certainly some pretty strong words. I think he's just wanting to exercise some muscle and effectively tell the Cricket Australia board that as their major media partner and the people that have paid them significant monies, they have to listen to them. I think that's probably true. And clearly the deal was not Warburton's. It was No, he Warburton's. inherited it. But we used to hear stories about the Olympics and the swimming had to be scheduled at a certain time yep. of day because NBC yep. in America had decreed it. So I think that you've got to look after your customers and in Cricket Australia's position, obviously that is the fans, but it's also the people paying the bills and quite a large chunk of that bill is being paid by Channel 7. And this indeed is the point. We will unpack this a little bit later. The, the financial stuff behind this is a nightmare for Warburton and the seven executive team. Uh, it, it is, they, they are in, like, this is an Anis Horribilis. When you take into account that the Olympics have been postponed, possibly cancelled, there is just no good news for them. And then their financial results make it even worse. Well, is it all doom and gloom? We will find out a bit later. But the thing about Cricket Australia is that, they are living off past glories where they could command any price they wanted and the world is changing. All right, despite production schedules being thrown into turmoil due to COVID-19 restrictions, our local TV networks say they have enough product to see them through. In an article in the SMH, it was revealed some productions won't be able to resume until the pandemic is over. Other productions have already been shot or are still in the process of being shot. Jackie O has confirmed the Masked Singer will film the grand finale and it won't be on Zoom. TV Black Box can reveal from September 7, Millionaire Hot Seat will only be airing one new episode a week, and that will be on Mondays. The rest of the week will be repeats. Ben, it's going to be interesting to see how they shoot things like Lego Masters and Big Brother. 
Well, they're definitely going ahead. I mean, Big Brother, um, I looked into today, that's going to be filmed in October. How that happens is a little bit beyond me. They've just been in all the states doing auditions for smaller amounts of people. So there was only 10 people in a casting room at a time and they were Mm -hmm. all obeying social distancing. Uh, Very limited producers were touring for that, gearing up for a new series. So it'll be interesting. Even touring producers must have been ludicrous because borders are closed and and what do you call them? Well, they didn't um, go to... Days are involved. Yeah, I don't think they came to Melbourne. I kept trying to find that out. I mean, I know they've been to Adelaide and Brisbane because I've had people in those auditions leak photos, which I thought mm. is ludicrous that anyone would tell me anything these in this day and age after I revealed a few things about the other series of <laughs> Big Brother. But, uh, look, I would say that a lot of these shows uh, that they can make, they will make. I think they will need to realise that things will need to be done cheaper. And I think next year it's going to be an interesting year to see some new or different ways in which we can make television and see if that is rewarded. I mean, this is will be a, a difficult, unprecedented time and I think it's an opportunity for people who can do things cheaper and faster and harder to maybe have an opportunity to stand out. You know, oh, the I like the, day, the Ben like, Robin Robbo show, COVID-19 safe. I felt like I, <laughs> I feel like the listeners to this are going to say that uh, you gave me $5 to lead you into that, which to... <laughs> <laughs> which uh, no one else is laughing except you on this podcast. For I the, know, it's dead for fucking quiet. The, for the viewers at home. <laughs> but uh, what I would say, though, is that above the Ben Robin Robbo show, I do think it's a good opportunity to see some fresh faces and some new content being forced out. I mean, at the end of the day, Lego Masters is a fairly basic idea and there's many ways in which you can skin a cat. So, like, let's see that show being done because it's popular and see other shows that are similar, basic formats, uh, but maybe with some newer hosts, some fresher faces and cheaper faces. Well, we're about to see, uh, look, at some point in the the coming months, um, the five bedrooms, the second season of that from 10 filmed under COVID conditions in Melbourne, um, proving that it can be done. Uh, admittedly before lockdown, but they got it done. Uh, And this is going to have to be the state of play for any of the networks to get stuff done because while they may have stuff on the shelf to get them through 2020, the cupboard for 2021 is bare right now, short of buy-ins and stuff, as you mentioned, Ben, that they're already starting to to plan uh, and get underway. Well, they've been okay in making Neighbours and Home and Away. I think that network executives will be taking a long, hard look at whether they want to continue shooting in Melbourne when Mm -hmm. Sydney is an option. Brisbane has a lot of facilities. It's traditionally never been used, but the government has invested a lot of money in TV studios and productions up there, mainly used for feature film. They might pivot up to there. Big question mark still before we even get to next year about the two, two of the biggest TV events of the year, Firstly, the Melbourne Cup. Mm. Secondly, the AFL Grand Final. Will they no have audiences? visibility? Well, we don't even know where that's going to be staged yeah, yet. Yeah, true. Well, the Melbourne Cup would be in Melbourne ostensibly, just nobody at the track, right? That seems to be what the plan is. But for the AFL Grand Final... Could, could be, be in Brisbane, Brisbane, could be in Perth. Could be in Perth. Well, Western Australia have been trying to get that. You know, they've been not shy about coming forward, about trying to secure that. I mean, the rights, I guess, to the Grand Final will always be stuck and laced into Melbourne. But uh, it, I think I think Western Australia would be a good opportunity to see the Grand Final over there. Um yeah, and interestingly enough, just really quickly going back to some of the interesting ways in which television's being shot, like Neighbours and Home and Away and other soapies and Five Bedrooms, 
in America, they've been shooting Days of Our Lives and having the actors' partners come in and do the, you know, the kissing and the touching and some very clever, clever. very clever camera angles and costuming. And I think, you know, that we are, can we could see that happening here with some of the dramas that are that are still capable of being scripted and executed in even in Victoria. So they learned something from Kirk Cameron. <laughs> what does that mean? What does it mean? Because it, when he won't kiss anybody else in a movie, um, because of like he's like all religious and stuff. So he will only like they always substitute whoever he's supposed to kiss in a movie for his wife steps in and does the stand in. That way, he only ever kisses his wife. Wow. There you go. Well, Australia's local streaming service, Dan, has announced it is ramping up its slate of local and internationally produced Dan original television series and films with volume to increase to over 30 productions a year over the next five years. As part of this major investment strategy, Nine will direct the focus of its own production capabilities towards acceleration of original productions for Stan. Sarah, the streamer has lost some content deals because of other plays going on in this market. But surely this seems like a smart move to me for Stan to go local. It's a good point of difference, right? I mean, yes, but doesn't Netflix make local stuff now? No, not really. They do have a content person in Sydney, but I think that will take some time to ramp up and develop. But uh, Netflix uh, normally throw a bit of money into production, a lot of ABC staff, Netflix buys the right. I guess to... I'm confused because everything I watch that's Australian here is on Netflix, but it's things like right. Wentworth that it's are just produced. But we're um, buying stuff. Yeah, but no, no, it's great. Everyone should make local stuff, and that's what we've been asking for: is for these big people to be making local but, stuff. But isn't that great? Without regulation, standing is taking the initiative because they're seeing a a hole in the market. And for the streaming wars going ahead, there needs to be a point of difference. If Stan are going to produce 30 local originals a year within five years, that's great news. Well, that was my argument in the beginning is we were talking about whether it should be regulated or not. And I said, if you just leave it, they will do it on their own without being forced to do it. And they'll probably actually produce something a lot better because they want to do it rather than just throwing out something cheap that they have to Mm. do. Well, the free-to-air networks are completely in a bind over local drama because they cannot make it work creatively and attract the audiences, and it certainly hasn't been rating for a whole bunch of different uh, attempts they've made, a whole range of programs. So uh, maybe these things will have a better life on the streamers where it's more about discovery and the shelf life is longer and word of mouth can be effective in building audiences in a way that the immediacy of free-to-air doesn't allow it to. I was going to say, Brookie, that really dis- it's so disappointing that Australian drama doesn't get a larger audience because I love Australian drama and I know you love it as well. And you really have to, you have to ask yourself why Australians have turned off from watching content made locally about local people. Colloquially, whole story. Well, I think Netflix is spending billions on drama, so there's a quality, uh, there's a cost issue there, a budget issue firstly, and then I think it's just the time of day and night that adult Australian families, if they are watching reality TV early with the kids and then they pop the kids off to bed and at that 9pm junction, their choice is do we want to watch some drama, do we want to watch it on free-to-air or do we want to watch it on a streamer and it tends to be 
more often than not, they're going for a streaming service. Mm. We've been weaned off it is the, is the challenge. You know, when, when let's hark back to a distant dark time where there were no streaming services. There was either a, a, a drama ostensibly Australian or maybe even an imported one at sort of 7.30, 8.30 and or a reality show starting to come in. It wasn't four or five nights a week. It was, mm. you know, the big Sunday night or a Monday night thing happens, off you go. Um, and in in that that time, since that's happened, and that's ostensibly the past five to six years, we know that TV audiences have been declining, but the change in viewership around re- reduction in drama stuff because people aren't watching it because it's been pushed behind, you know, ever-expanding reality programs that finish at whatever time o'clock. And if people want to hang in, just about anybody that's serious about television from a home perspective either has a set-top box recording unit or are happy to deal with the nightmare that the catch-up services can be. So they'll jump over and watch other things. Well, they're watching them anyway or they're watching them on their commute now thanks to your streaming services, doing whatever, however they want to make it happen. And that is now the de rigueur um, in how we access our drama particularly, but even our light entertainment. You look at the, the raft of content that Netflix and Stan have either made originally or have lifted in from other places. It's packing out their right, libraries. Mal- I think it's even more direct than that because there's been a wholesale replacement. So a country practice, 7.30 mm. Monday and Tuesday night, sons and daughters used to be on at 7 p.m. The Flying Doctors, uh, E Street, Richmond Hill, you mm. name it, those local drama slash soapies that used to be a regular staple in those early evening slots have all totally been replaced by reality television Yep, where people get their own kind of drama. You know, we don't watch the original dynasty anymore. We watch Real Housewives, which is basically mm-hmm. the same concept of super privileged people. One was a scripted drama, the other one is reality. Married at First Sight, uh, The Bachelor, all the love stories that used to be on the early evening soaps have totally gone into reality TV. And do you know what's disappointing as well that I find, and you know me, everyone here knows me, I like my reality television as much as I like my scripted drama, and that is I really don't appreciate reality overextending itself from their scheduled time slots. I mean, I don't like it. I don't want to watch that much reality. I mean, I want to watch Big Brother. I want to watch those uh, The Voice and I want them contained into an hour. As soon as they go longer than that, I don't want to give up myself to a, a Hollywood movie-length episode of reality television ever. There's no reality TV show I ever want to watch for longer than f- 56 minutes. And, and Go, sir. No, um, I'm, no I'm, I was just going to... I was just, it's totally off topic, but um, when uh, I was at a party with a bunch of former child stars and I said dynasty and they all laughed at me because apparently it's pronounced dynasty. Yes, indeed. And, and, <laughs> this is true. It um, is in Britain and, and back America where you well, are, Sarah, but in Australia, yeah, well, one of the girls... Dynasty. One of the girls from Dynasty was at the party, oh. so I was promptly corrected. You were schooled. <laughs> I mean, full credit to nine and to who was it? Who was it, Sarah? Who was it? Who Katie was it? Kurtzman. Oh, who did she play? She was uh, the little redhead. She was the daughter. It was at a child okay. star party. So. I was I was at J and B Hi Fi, and I had my hand on a one hundred and fifty five dollar boxed set of Dynasty, every single episode of the original series. Anyway, I digress. Rob, 
What's happening next? Well, this week marked a new primetime showdown as Channel 9's The Block took on newcomer Plate of Origin. The Block was a clear winner with over a million people watching the room winner section. The show itself averaged 980,000, while Seven's offering served up just 667,000 viewers. Mike, will Seven be happy with that? Uh, let me just check my notes. No, um, there's no possible way you'd be happy with uh, a show that ostensibly your three big judges are getting paid a million bucks each for it to rate under 700,000 Five City Metro. Uh, certainly on its premiere, there were lots of rubberneckers, I'm sure, and it will be very intriguing to see what the Monday and Tuesday episodes this week pull. Um, I, I, it would be a bold person to suggest that they will pull at least that 667 or better uh, because as we know, it's a diminishing return scenario. Every episode that plays through just sees, you know, viewership goes down ostensibly until the finale when it might go back up again. Um, it's it's a disappointing outcome. I think Seven were hoping for much better than that, especially given the coup of picking up Gary and Matt. I've got to say, Was I it a coup? It. Was it a coup? Well, I think they see it and are certainly selling it as a coup. Oh, we know they'd walked away from 10 because of you know contract negotiations. However, leaving them on the free market means that they could have gone to nine and seven scored them. They didn't yeah, walk. Okay. 10 walked away. 10 were the ones who announced that wasn't going ahead. But um, I actually like the show, Mulk, but it's up against tough competition in the block. Mm. It's up against well, very tough competition. Well, back to Sarah's point about when TV audiences want familiarity and when they want newness and innovation. Mm. And clearly the Australian TV audience has still got a lot of time for the block in a way that they don't have for house rules. So that audience has decided that the block is their re- renovation program. It's decided that MasterChef is their cooking show and other... Rival programs, even though they're on at different times of the year, such as Plate of Origin, just don't cut the mustard with them. I think it's Mm. because, interestingly enough, cooking and renovations is more universally acceptable to people. It's more homey. So I think, you know, in troubled times like COVID-19, it's that familiarity that I think that James Warburton's trying to ascertain. Uh, And funnily enough, in those two scenarios, they don't have. But uh, I still think that... Uh, those familiar staple programs about food and renovations are still really important to Australians and it's seen because Victorians get involved with reality television in that regard where Victorians are difficult when it comes to ratings with shows that are sort of more about people. Victorians are only difficult when the show's not made in Victoria. (laughs) Bottom line, that's why the block moved to Victoria, moved to Melbourne because Victorians weren't watching. It's a thing. And the block should be doing well because they're showing that even though they thought that um, homeware stores and everything would go down, like they would lose money during the pandemic, at least in the mm. US, they're like showing massive project like uh, profits because yep. everybody's decided while we're home, we're going to renovate or we're going to like revamp the yeah. house and like uh, the cooking too, because people have to cook. But I think at some point they become bored of cooking, um, but they're still working on the house. So I can see yep. why the block is doing so well because everyone's like trying to get ideas. The t- Time suited, absolutely. I mean, let's let's put it into some perspective though. The block is doing okay. Its premiere week ago was the second lowest in its sixteen season history. So it's, it's still doing a million viewers in this day and age. That's it. A good only result. did a million viewers last night on Sunday night for that. And it's going to take a fair. It's going to take a fair, well, fair, fair whack until tonight. Until then, 
Now, it will keep its cycle where it goes big on Sunday night for the room reveal, taper during the week, big on Sunday night for the room reveal, blah, 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 blah. And, and that will be good numbers for night, and that's awesome. All I'm saying is it didn't hit the million until last night, and that's a week into it showing. It just seems to be the where we are with ratings these days. It's also the law of diminishing returns. Every everything is down. Channel Nine did mm. run a good publicity campaign, making sure people realised that the first room reveal was going to be a good piece of television. I mean, I was hit up by publicity teams who do a great job at Channel Nine, and the word was on the street. And I just knew a lot of people that were like, "If you haven't watched this season of The Block, watch Sunday nights. It's a cracker of an episode." And I think that that old and traditional publicity still works in generating more more eyes on the t- on the box. And that is something Seven is missing in Melbourne with no PR department down yeah, there. Wow. Very true. All right. Now it's time for Hatchets and Dispatches with Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Carl Stefanovic has signed a new contract extension with Nine as ratings for the Today Show continue in a positive direction. The Breakfast program recorded its second consecutive win last week in the all-important markets of Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. Today achieved an average of 188k compared with rival Sunrise on 181k in the East Coast cities. Channel 10 has snatched the rights to one of the biggest sitcoms of the decade. As exclusively revealed on TV Black Box, The Big Bang Theory will shift from Channel 9 to Channel 10 where it is set to air on 10 Peach from Monday, September 14. And Screen Australia has announced two feature films, one television series, one children's drama, and five online projects will share in $2.7 million of production funding. The slate includes Wormwood Apocalypse, plus writer-director Sarah Cohn's debut feature family drama, Vesna from Sweet Chop and Green. Nikia Liu and Gabe Dalrick team up for the ABC series Preppers, while Itch returns to ABC Me for series two. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you, Sarah. Coming up, we take a look at the state of the industry as the networks reveal their financial woes. And here it comes. Block your ears. Yep, it's the sound effect you hate, but I love, so we're keeping it. We are opening the TV Black Vault. We'll be right back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's the most talked about TV show that's not on TV. And I think you guys are amazing. With raw, honest opinions. This was not a mistake. This was a lie. Exclusive stories. Some industry insiders have been talking about this. Is that a Ben Robin Robbo exclusive? And plenty of famous faces. I'm not wasting these gold moments on the 60 minutes. (laughs) The Ben Robin Robbo Show is the new way to stream your news. This is the stuff that headlines are made of. Live every Monday to Thursday at 1pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Ticker TV or Facebook and Twitter at BRR Show. Watch live or on demand. It's Well, it was a big week as 7 and 9 revealed their end of financial year results and the news isn't good. 
We all knew the advertising market was flat before COVID-19 struck, but the pandemic has caused major problems for our two biggest commercial networks. According to The Australian, Seven reported a near 49% drop in annual underlying earnings to $129.6 million, hurt by a 14% fall in revenue to $1.23 billion. Nine had a net loss of $590 million for the year, hit by an impairment charge of $588.7 million following the fallout of coronavirus crisis. Nine is looking to slash costs by $225 million this calendar year, while Seven generated $170 million from cost cuts, including renegotiating its AFL deal as it looks to pay down its $480 million debt pile. Nine says it will not sell any assets, but will focus on ramping up its streaming services, Stan and Nine Now. Seven, meanwhile, is hoping to sell another three assets by December after raising $150 million from the sale of its magazine business, plus two properties in the 2020 financial year. Brookie, whichever way you look at this, this is not a good story for the TV business. We also know 10 was in the red by $226 million when Viacom CBS reported its earnings. Yes, one of the most interesting things about this wave of company announcements is the attitude of the analysts. These are people who make their living from analysing what is happening with these media companies and then issues advice on buy and sell. And pretty much they acknowledged the severity of the situation, but they kind of gave the networks a pass mark. They basically said, yes, the situation is bad. It's not just because of the advertising fall-off. But the effect of the pandemic is that it devalues the assets. So everybody, everything that the TV network, its very value of itself, not just mm. the share market price, but every single asset it has, the cricket rights, if you want to talk about that with seven, the NRL rights that nine has as properties, that is all devalued as well, which is why you see these huge impairment charges and write-down, which have made the financial results look so dire. So the situation is bad, but the analysts are saying that the networks are doing the right thing. As much as we've criticised James Warburton in the past, Seven does need to sell assets off to pay down its debt. Nine has diversified to try and get away from a free-to-air advertising model. Subscriptions are the future, and that has been acknowledged by the analysts, and some of them have even said, well, you know, we can't really accurately predict the future, but it could well be that with a leaner and meaner TV advertising network that has got rid of its 80s cost structure, is not spending $40 million, say, on The Voice, and is not spending $2.5 million on Carl Stepanovic's salary, it could emerge from the pandemic, provided advertising and the general economy does pick up, in stronger shape. Because it would mean that having taken the painful decisions and made the cuts, uh, they are leaner and they can return to profit more easily. We'll have to wait and see. But, Brookie, you know, people have talked about the death of television for a long time. But I have to say this is the first year I've started to believe it. Um, and I'm a big television advocate. But when I see it's just slashing and slashing with no long-term plan, plan, you know, like Seven I always thought was smart because it owned its content with Seven Studios, but they've had to sell that off. And I, I totally understand the reasons of why they've had to do it. But it's not a long-term strategy. It's a short-term strategy to get rid of the debt. Nine, I think, are quite interesting in that it, they appear to be moving over to Stan and mm. Nine now because with the 
um, change of, you know, they're even saying Michael Healy from Nine Programming is going to be involved in Stan now. So that's a huge fundamental shift Mm -hmm. saying that the television business is not the core business of what Nine does anymore. You've still got a television in every lounge room. Yeah. You have got multiple in every house. You've got multiple computers and tablets. Whether people are watching content, as Ben talked about, Australian content via a streaming service or not into the future or still by the big giants of the free-to-air networks, there's bound to be some shifting around about that. But if we are still got Australian-owned companies telling Australian stories, then I'm kind of okay with that. Nine is the smart player here, aren't they, Mulk, because of what they're doing with Stan, and I think that actually looks to be some future planning. I I just... The lights are slowly going out with the broadcast. You know, uh, Brookie's right, there are televisions in every house, Mm. but how those televisions are delivering content now is completely changing. Yeah, more and more of those TVs are either smart or plugged into devices that make Mm -hmm. them smart. So it means that they don't, they're not tied to the terrestrial broadcast antenna like they have been since 1956. Um, mm. You know, so the the ability to get content onto the screens is different. It's it's a super smart move, even though, you know, the coronavirus will, I'm sure, affect this bold claim by Nine and Stan to have, you know, 30 original programs. Was it a year or, or 30 full stop? A year. Within five years, they're going to have 30 original programs a year. That's huge. Huge. That is a huge lineup of content to deliver onto a streaming service even onto a television network, but onto a streaming service, it's it's massive. And this is where it gets challenging for Seven because Nine stuck their neck out and put the money and did the deal with Fairfax, which they then subsumed, I appreciate, um, that Stan is now all theirs. They've kind of got a foot in both camps. They can get Michael Healy to program, help and decide and pick shows that they want to put on or make for Stan mm. or go, no, we'll use this and we can run it here and then run it here or whatever the angle is that they want to deliver it. Stan, uh, Seven's only delivery mechanism is their online, their own kind of Seven Plus deal, which none of them for the networks are doing huge, huge business, uh, and their terrestrial broadcast stuff. Um, there was a really interesting article by Glenn Dyer, I think it is, uh, on Crikey, mm-hmm. um, that unpacked Seven's financial situation. And the thing that stuck out to me, apart, look, everybody's carrying debt. I totally acknowledge that. That's not the big deal. The challenge was the way that they have opted and exercised with the banks their ability to put off some payments uh, and the I impact. I don't think CBS, um, 10 isn't carrying debt. I don't think... Well, no, thanks to either. CBS, they're now not carrying debt. Um, yeah. But let's... 10 are in their, old, their own special little nightmare where they're now, you know, owned by an American multinational that, that wants them to do exactly what they say and they have to deliver or else... Executive A is out and Executive B steps in. That's that's cut and dry for ten. For seven, it's the, it's just the financial pressure on them. Not now, but by the end of twenty twenty one, when repayments triple because of that delayed payment and interest rates going up. Um, th- this was the thing that stuck out to me from from Dyer's article uh, because, funnily enough, I did some research. Um, first time ever. The new deal with the banks carries a margin of 4.5% and the upfront fees and charges, the costs of putting the new deal together, which look like they have to be paid and not capitalised and added to the debt. In the current weak business climate, the 6.5% plus cost is onerous. 
Like that's a huge interest rate to pay on like debts of, you know, three billion two hundred thirty six million dollars, whatever it is that's flying around. Like that's insane kind of deals, uh, and that pushes in for seven as to why they're going. If, if Warburton's claim is let's get the familiar stuff and do it cheaper, it makes complete sense that they mm. would want to do that, given that's their you know written down financial position, which puts huge pressure on their parent company and Kerry Stokes, who's the major owner of Seven, around how they support and keep that debt alive. I would say that what's interesting from like completely taking it out of television and looking at it a different way, because I think I said this earlier, there's more ways to skin a cat. And I just feel like, is it like gambling for them at the moment where it's like they are just trying to find any money in desperation with the knowledge or the belief that something miraculous is going to happen and they're going to save themselves? Or is it is it real that this will be over soon? Do you know what I mean? Like as in I've got friends that have been addicted to gambling before and they're just desperate to sell off a few things and get some easy cash and they just keep thinking that this is going to pay itself out. Something A miracle is going to occur. And I think maybe there's something in that when it comes to the way in which these television networks are operating. It seems like more gambling rather than educating. And I think that with James Warburton and what he is doing with Channel 7, it's a slow burn. But I think maybe there's something in his reach for nostalgia um, and familiarity. Like maybe that's it. It's a safe bet. Are they hoping that like that they... Like in the US where the US will not let certain companies fail, so they just give them bailouts. Maybe the Australians are hoping that we'll pay oh, it, we'll pay it, we'll pay it. The networks have you know. been asking forever. It's why their licence fees are now reduced to zero, why the mm. quotas don't exist now. And, look, let's be fair. At the end of 2019, when all of the networks delivered their upfront uh, announcements for 2020, none of them saw the situation that they would be in right now. It is a debacle for everybody, and it only exacerbates their position. It, it, In part, if I can draw this parallel, the NRL clubs didn't see it coming either, and they've been mu- making money hand over fist, and yeah. they had to absolutely fight with the government and with their partner networks to get games back on screen and in the fields because if they didn't, clubs would close because nobody put any money away for a rainy day. And the networks have been able to borrow to offset that, but that's that's just crazy talk. And, and Mog, to reinforce the point that the this is more about money and rather than the specific content these days, we know that at the upcoming nine upfronts, the sell will be to advertisers, not media people about the programs, but about how the sales can drive. It will be a sales-driven 100%. presentation to get people spending their money on the network. That is what that upfronts will all be about. Usually it's been the big glamour about product and what's coming up. It's not going to be about that this time. I think we'll get some of it, but certainly the, the major focus will be well, hold on, up front, always been about sales opportunities. I'm not disputing that, Brookie. Okay, well, I'm just telling you what I've heard, that it, it, I've been warned that the focus is all about sales. Of course it's always been about sales, but I'm giving you information that I have gotten from sources that have said it's specifically about the sales this time. Usually there's been a balance between the two, but this is all about sales. But it has to be. 
The only way the network's going to get themselves out of this funk is to trade their way out of it. And the only way they do it is by giving their advertisers confidence that people are watching their networks. And here's the deals in the way that when you spend your money with us, we'll give you 11 billion eyeballs in all of the right demographics that you need it to be. And here's the easiest way for you to engage with us. All of the online platforms and the ad buying, um, self-help, self-service stuff that they've now been working to put in place absolutely has to pay off for them because even during mum the, and dad's corner store needs the pandemic to advertise. Mulk, I, ratings went up across the board. Advertisers didn't follow. That's mm. correct. It is true. So people had less things to do. Ratings it's went up for what? Only for news. Well, ratings went up for the news boomed across the news board. News absolutely did massive business. Nothing follow. else did. I think that television used to reflect the lifestyles in which people wanted, so people were more drawn to television with this side of, you know, thinking it was luxurious and powerful. And I, or, I uh, can't think of the last word to to really hammer it was that point home. Yeah, but I feel like the aspiration about what I see in the television now is gone. Like I, I, I don't mean to be really bleak about the whole thing or be doom and gloom. But I just think we could be smarter in the way in which you could interact with the audiences to inspire them to be more than they are. And at the moment we're sort of missing that. Like, you know, for example, they bought Big Brother back and they didn't modernise it and bring it into the real world. It was still a good take on it, but they could have given them phones. They could have reflected society different. They could have found housemates that we wanted to be, but there weren't housemates that we wanted to be. And stories being told on the shows aren't necessarily inspiring us in a really hard time. So I think that people need to realise with the cinema industry, people still have the money to spend the money and that's why movies can gross the amount of money that they do. But people are being smarter about how they're going to spend it and they go to the movies less. Actually, MasterChef ratings went up. No, no, you're right, Brookie. MasterChef ratings did go up. It was one of the few that did, certainly for franchises. However, it still wasn't its biggest um, it was his biggest in a couple of years. Um, I do need to correct myself, and that is that the Chase Australia ratings probably went up, but that's beside the point. Um, the, the, <laughs> sorry, there's a big last week callback. Um, ding, ding. The people who, the, the services or the, the, the things that did go up as far as ratings go were the streaming services. They were the ones that have seen subscription rates go through the roof, more and more minutes per day being watched on those services. And if we can look at the primetime entertainment ratings after the news, they have, look, maintained, if not declined slightly, but certainly only consistent with, you know, what we've seen over the last three to five to ten years. Because most people would rather pay for a TV thing that doesn't have ads than watch ads that's free. It seems your point is absolutely right, Sarah. Uh, although in the US it is interesting because there are some streaming services coming with ad support where you get it for cheaper yeah, or for free. Quibbing. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes compared to the paid streaming services. All right, fascinating to see where things end up. But right now, let's open that door. <laughs> ben, <laughs> it's time for the TV Black Belt. Thanks, Rob. Okay, so last week... That what was voted upon the most was this one, which is a former employee, I use that loosely, of a major network has been seen lurking behind the scenes of his former show trying to get behind the scenes gossip. Who could that be? Who is it? Well, it's Kieran Davidson what? from Big Brother. <laughs> of course what? it is. Of course it is. <laughs> he, to- he told me that he's been sitting in a... 
a cafe across the road from the hotel that did the auditions last year, watching to see if anyone interesting is <laughs> going into the hotel. Not conspicuous at all. <laughs> no, you wouldn't spot him, would you? And you wouldn't spot Kieran, would you? I mean, seriously, he looks like the everyday person. Anyway, I thought that was quite hilarious. And I'm sure that he's going to also, along with Isabel Silbury, hate me for revealing <laughs> that uh, last week. I did get myself into trouble, Mulk. I did really you? did. She's, it ended up in the Daily Mail and the Ooh, Daily Jeepers. Mail sent it to her. She forwarded it to me, no, no text included, Ooh. which is like, you know. It's never a good when sign. The, yeah, when the friend sends you the, yeah, yeah. you know. How big was the, the bottle of champagne you've had to send her? <laughs> well, I've been friends with Isabel for a very long time, so she was very kind to forgive me, but I owned it by saying that I should have checked that out with her first. You know, sometimes mm. being friends with these people doesn't give me a license to You can't to take it You didn't just do the whole all publicity is good publicity thing? No, I just owned it. I, I was like, there is no way out of this. I'm just going to tell you that I'm sorry. And Fair enough. it was true. You know, if it was not true, if I'd lied about it, then that's a different story. But that's anyway. two bottles. Look, two bottles. I'm setting it off again. Okay, great. Anyway, moving on. This week's one, number one. This insider dropped the celebrity name of a mass singer's of the mass singer's pussycat, and every week since it launched, freakishly, someone new has leaked this name to me. How is it possible this didn't stay a secret? To most people. Like, everyone knows who the pussycat is, don't they? Yeah. No. It was all, uh, like, it was all over Twitter tonight. Oh, well, it was, uh, like, from the week it launched, I told you. Like, I'll tell, anyway, like look, Taylor people Swift? Can vote. Well, it didn't get announced tonight. <laughs> it may not get announced tomorrow night, and it may mean that people can vote upon that and we can reveal who it is early and Channel 10 will never speak But just to us. remember, no, whoever's eliminated from the Masked Singer, the following day you will see them on the Ben Robin Robbo Show, 1 o'clock, in your favourite social media feed. Okay, number two. One person's not subtle. One person's cooked. Sorry, one person's cooked is another person's underdone. A former MasterChef star has had her fair share of things to say about the latest food competition on Channel Seven. Right. Yeah. Mm. Underdone is not what I would have said, but anyway. Uh, moving along to number three. Holy moly, must have had a few holes in it because some celebrities are now being tooled into the format to try and avoid some of the holes in the show. Goodness. That'd be because of COVID-19 restrictions, wouldn't it? Um, is that your last one, Ben, or have you got one more? Yeah, that's it. I, no, I did three. That's fine. I did have another one, but I'm going to save that one to next week once I run it by uh, the boss, <laughs> and that's you, Rob McKnight. I have to run it by you before I say Fair it. Fair enough. Good point. Uh, all right, let's close that TV black belt. Don't listen, don't listen, don't listen. And that is the end of TV Black Box for another week. Don't forget, for all of your TV industry news, go to tvblackbox.com.au and listen to the podcast every week. And if you love the podcast, go and leave a five-star review at iTunes. And if you don't, piss off. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Bookie. And thank you, Ben. We'll see you you next week. Bye-bye. Ciao. Au revoir. Laters. All the very best. 